As I was uh, thinking about what to talk about uh, this Sunday, uh, I was thinking about uh, how Jesus is building his church. Uh, Matthew tells us, Mark tells us several places that Jesus said, I am building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against me or against it. And, um, and so, you know, Jesus is building his church. And as I thought about that, I thought about, well, how is Jesus building his church? And, um, you know, as I was listening to Sunday school and I thought about uh, some questions and comments that were being made, I thought, you know, Jesus is building his church. And sometimes, though, in the midst of what he's doing, it seems dark, doesn't it? Um, I remember as a kid going out looking for the cows at night, you know, and you're uh, out in the woods and you don't have a light. That's dangerous. Um, and I can imagine, you know, if you, if you could just, if you closed your eyes uh, or you, you know, you're at, let's just say there's no light out there and you're looking, only thing you can see is the stars. But if you're in the woods, you can't even see that. You, you could hardly see your footsteps. Well, that's the world that we live in. And Jesus said, ye are the lights the world. So think about it. Every Christian is like a light out there in that darkness because we were blind in our trespasses and sins until Jesus turned the light on. And that's what's beautiful about being in a, you know, you think about it, well, why am I here? And what is God doing? And why is, why is God have me here right at this time in this place and in these this situations that we, we've been living through in COVID? Well, he's got you as a light. And uh, people need to see, they see that light. They see how you live. They see what you speak, what you think. And all of those things are part of what Jesus is doing in building his church. Well, that's the kind of world that Paul the Apostle was going into. Because we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16. And he is told in Acts 16 that God wants him to go into the continent of Europe. Now, some of us, now maybe all of us are descendants from European descent, right? Probably if we went back with we either English, Scottish, we might be some French and maybe some Italian here and there and, and so forth. But we're all from probably, most likely, all from the continent of Europe, our, our ancestors. But when Paul was called to go into Europe, it was dark. There was no gospel light. And God's saying, You're gonna, I want you to go into Europe. And this is the place I'm going to go. And this is where I'm going to build my church in Europe. This, I'm going to build my church in Philippi. And we're going to do a study in Philippians in the next few weeks and maybe a little longer than that. Uh, but, I want to, I, but the preface is Acts 16. Because Acts 16 is the people that God's going to use to build his church in Philippi. And it's exciting because it's, it's, it's God's dream team. You know what a dream team is, right? You know, the dream team was, uh, when I, of course, when I was growing up, it was MJ and, and you know, uh, Michael Jordan, and you had, uh, um, you had Scottie Pippen, and you had John Stockton, and that was the dream team of the, what is the 80s, maybe? Okay, I aged myself a little bit more. Uh, if I go back before that, you know, you got the, the Kareem Jabbar, and you've got, uh, uh, who do you got, Magic Johnson, and all, that's, that's a dream Jerry West, don't forget Jerry, yeah. I was able to say, now that's the dream team, right? But when we think about God's dream team, the dream team that God has, that he's building his church, which has worldwide significance, not just 
not just significance for the NBA, not just significance for, you know, who's the best basketball player, but God, God is using his church as a powerful tool to reach the whole world. And so Acts 16 is kind of like, it's almost like if you want to know how God builds his church, well, who is he going to use and put in that church? Well, I'd like to see in Acts 16, it's, it's, a, bigger, it's a beautiful picture. And we're going to pick up with verse 6 because the Holy Spirit's involved in building his church. But so is the Father and so is the Son. So uh, we're going to pick up with verse 6 and then we're going to, we're going to talk about what, what kinds of people did God, is God going to put on his dream team, uh, we, uh, his dream team at Philippi. Well, notice in verse 6, And they went out through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, Asia Minor. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, if somebody starts screaming and say, help, what do you do? I better go and help, right? This is, this is, this is, the, uh, there's urgency here. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that the whole, that God, now there's, there's the Trinity, you got the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, and that God had called us, God the Father had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. It was, it was probably the most important Roman colony uh, at this time. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the city, or outside the gate, to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come get together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us to saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. First home church there. And she prevailed upon us. And then going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her overseers much gain by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High, who proclaim to you the, the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, Paul having become greatly annoyed, you ever been annoyed? Well, he was annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And she came out of him that very hour. And so they get arrested. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to insert the third person that we're going to be looking at here about in verse 25. And after midnight, Paul and Silas, and they're beaten, they're thrown in prison, they're put in stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw that the prisoner door, prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
And the jailer called for lights, rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, Christ, or Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. And of course, Paul spoke the word to them and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and all his family. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful section of scripture this is. And Lord, it is, uh, it is a beautiful picture of how you uh, founded uh, the church at Philippi. And uh, Father, your dream team uh, that uh, you would use to uh, spread the good news in uh, uh, the continent of Europe. And uh, so, Father, we thank you for this passage. But Father, most importantly, we thank you for your word that tells us uh, Lord, about your love for the lost and your desire, Lord, that we, as your, your lights in the world, would bring the message of hope and of the gospel uh, to the world in which we live in this day, in this hour, at this time. And we thank you we're a part of the church that you're building and that the gates of hell cannot and will not and will never prevail against it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a lot here for us to look at, and obviously we can't go verse by verse in this text. But Paul is starting his second missionary journey. He's just finished the first one. He went back to, um, to uh, the Jerusalem Council. He told them about how God was using him to reach the Gentiles with the good news, the gospel. And so he and uh, Barnabas was a part of that team that went out. And uh, they had a disagreement, uh, first part of Acts here. And so, uh, so what happens is that Barnabas decides he's going to take John Mark, because Mark, John Mark had left the team, you might say. The, the, and they go to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas now, and Timothy, who he picks up, who, remember, Timothy is from, remember, Derby, and Timothy was, is, a, is, a part, is half Jew and half Gentile. And so Paul is going to start his second missionary journey. And as he goes through, now think about it. If you're, um, if you're doing mission work and the city that you, one of the cities that you visited stoned you and left you for dead, uh, how, uh, do you think you might want to go back there and, and share with that, uh, you know, tell them again that, you know, hey, I'm this guy that you stoned last time, I just wanted to check on you guys. So Paul's going back to Lystra and to Derby. And it's kind of like saying, I'm just checking on the church. <laughs> and then you're thinking like, I'm not sure I would want to do that. You know, this is a little dangerous. But, so, but as, they're, as they're going through there, they, they want to go through Asia. And so he, began, he wants to go west. Now west, if he goes west, there's Thyatira and there's Ephesus. And the Holy Spirit says, you're not going. And so Paul, you know, think about it. Well, where am I to go next? He says, well, I'll go up to Bithynia, north. I'll go north. Spirit of Jesus says, nope, you're not going north. And so Paul is, I mean, think, you know, he's praying, he's thinking. And so they go through this little sliver between Bithynia and Asia Minor. If you have a map, you can almost see it. And they go down to Mycenae and they sail over to Philippi. But they don't do that. Once they get to Mycenae, they get, they basically, actually it's Troas. They go from Mycenae to Troas. And Troas, they, see, they hear the, the Macedonian call. And what it is, is he has a vision and he sees the Macedonian man. 
And he says, come over and help us. We, we, we need to hear the gospel. Now, we don't know who that Macedonian man is. Uh, he sees him in a vision. So Paul immediately leaves with the company the, 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 you might say the second missionary, the second missionary journey is going to begin here. He's, he's going to go, he's going to sail across to Philippi, which is a Roman colony, and he's going to go and preach the gospel. But he, he says, come, come immediately. They drop everything they're doing and they go. Uh, now, somebody's, somebody's telling you they need help. When you arrive, who are you going to be looking for? <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking like they're sailing over by ship and they're going to be looking for who? The Philippian the man of Macedonia. I mean, there should be a little reception here, right? You think the guy standing there, you know, like at an airport, you know, the guy standing, uh, Rollins family. Anybody from the, <laughs> we're, we're looking for anybody that, that belongs to us. You know, you hold a sign. Well, Paul's looking around. He didn't see any sign. It says he walks through the city for several days and he's, you know, he's sharing, I mean, he's sharing the gospel as much as he can, but nobody's responding. And you're thinking like, well, if they're calling for help, Where's the need? Where's the struggle? Who, who is this in trouble that one needs to hear the gospel? And so it says that Paul's normal way of doing ministry was he'd go to the synagogue. Well, Philippi, being a Roman colony, had to have at least 10 Jews to have a synagogue. So there were not even 10, Jew, 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. There was no synagogue. So he goes down to the prayer meeting that the women were having. Now, the man of Macedonia was actually a woman. It's called Lydia. <laughs> now, where's Lydia from? She's from Thyatira. Well, where's Thyatira? It's in Asia, and God told him not to go to Asia. Well, how's Lydia going to get saved? Well, because she's doing business over in Philippi. You know, you just see kind of God's sense of humor here. It's, it's oh, if God's going to open her heart to the gospel, then she needs to take a business trip over to Thyatira. To Philippi, because she's a seller of purple, and uh, the the dye they had was was the kind of dye that was used by the noble people, royalty, and those were the people that typically it's kind of like you have to. So Lydia was probably some way related to Caesar's household because only Caesar's household they kind of had a monopoly on purple dye, and so here's this businesswoman who. I, we don't know about her husband, but we do know she has a household. But apparently she's, she's not, she may not, she, her husband may have died. But God sends Paul to the river and he shares the gospel. And what happens is that God, it says, notice, you notice that as he's sharing the gospel, it says God does something here. It says in verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. That dye, by the way, they get it from, um, uh, from fish, hard, hard shell fish. And he was, uh, she, uh, she was a worshiper of God, which means she was a proselyte. She was, not, she, was, she was a worshiper of God. She was a proselyte, a Jew, and probably a Gentile. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said. Now, so, so you, you have this... this this picture of a woman who, 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 who's trying to figure out. She, she, see, as a proselyte, she would have the Old Testament. She'd be reading the Old Testament. She'd be reading about Moses and about Abraham and Jacob. She would be reading about the Ten Commandments. And she would know about uh, the Old Testament way of worship and that there had to be sacrifice. 
But she was missing a piece of the puzzle. What piece was she missing? She didn't know about Jesus, did you? That Jesus had come and that he, did, that he was the Messiah and that he sacrificed, died on the cross for our sins. And she didn't know that. But when she found out that, oh, you mean the Messiah that Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 is talking about is actually Jesus and that he died and that he rose again, it says that God opened her heart. And you say, well, you know, it's not too, that wasn't too dramatic, was it? You know, not every conversion, not every time a person comes to Christ is there's this, you know, it's not like a lightning bolt. Now, for, for, for Lydia, it was just God. You know, she had that one, you know, it's like that, you know those jigsaw puzzles, 5,000-piece puzzles? Does anybody do those? I, Chris's dad used to do that. It drew me crazy. He'd say, could you sit down and help me with piece, find this piece of puzzle? And I'm going like, there's thousands of pieces here. There's no way I'm going to do that. And he, every year he'd have two or three of these things going, and it would just it'd drive me nuts because I couldn't find the piece of puzzle that I needed. There's always one missing piece, and she was missing that piece, and that piece was Jesus. And Jesus puts it together, doesn't he? I mean, when you know, understand who Jesus is, the Old Testament all of a sudden makes sense. And the New Testament, you're going like, wow, this is amazing. And, and Lydia, got, you know, see, you can see that here God is opening her heart to the good news. And we know that God was at work in her because of how she responded. She goes to, her, she has Paul, invites Paul to her house, her whole household comes to faith. And then she has her whole household baptized. And so you have this first convert is, is, is a person who, I would say Lydia is a religious person who knows a lot about the Bible, but doesn't really know Jesus yet. But that one little piece, sometimes people that are asking questions, you know, you, you, you know, they know, they know a lot about the Bible and they, boy, they'll throw all kinds of questions at us, won't they? I mean, think about some of the things people will ask and you go like, well, obviously they've read some of the Bible, but they don't understand the most important part and point of the Bible is about God's promise from Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan and that that was done and was completed at the cross. And, you know, when we understand that, it, it begins to, we begin to see that God didn't just, you know, the plan of salvation isn't just God's last minute. Well, you know, that didn't work. I'll try this. And, well, that didn't work, and I'll try this. God doesn't work that way. God's plan from eternity has always been one plan, and that everyone is going to be coming into the kingdom, what, through faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, Romans chapter 4. And so here's God bringing in one of the people that he's going to use powerfully for this church. Guess where probably this church met? The Philippian church that we're going to be studying about in Philippi. They met probably in Lydia's home. She apparently was wealthy enough that she could actually have them come and they could have Bible study and prayer meeting and they could have, they could have worship service in her home. And what a, what a blessing that had to be. Now, on the other side of the tracks, guess what? There's this oppressed girl. She's a slave girl. She's being, she's being abused and used by, these, uh, by her master here. And Paul, go, as he's going to the river to, to pray and, and to meet with these ladies, it says this girl starts following Paul around. And he's, he gets so irritated because, I mean, she's saying something true, right? 
These are the servants of God. I mean, Paul and Silas were preaching the truth. And, the, and, and these men are showing the way of salvation, but the problem is her spirit, isn't it? It's a spirit of divination. The word there actually is a spirit of python. This python, this, you know what a python is, this huge, huge snake, they're huge. Uh, that, was the, that was the symbol of the god Apollo. And they worshipped Apollo through the python snake. And she had this, she, she was, she was, could, she could tell, she could tell fortunes. That's basically what she was. And they were using, they were getting profits from her. And, and interesting that Satan changes his tactic, doesn't he? How's he changed the tactic? Well, Satan, Spurgeon used to say this, well, God, well Satan will tell a hundred things that are true, but that hundred and one thing is the one lie that will undermine everything else. And so if he can associate with Paul, guess what? We'll just add Jesus to what? The pantheon of other gods. Well, there's Apollo and, and there's Mercury and then there's Jesus. But there's only one name under heaven whereby men might be saved, right? And that name is Jesus. And Paul said, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're not, putting, you're not associating me with, with, uh, with any of the Greek gods. And so Paul commands her, notice, and he commands her in verse 18 there. He says, I command you in the name of who? Jesus Christ. And to come out of her. And it came out of her in the very hour. Now, I'm talking about dramatic. Now, that's a power encounter, right? Who's going to win, Jesus or Apollo? You know, Jesus... And so Paul, so here's this power encounter. I mean, think about it. Here's a woman who probably would never, I mean, Lydia, the businesswoman, wealthy, this girl probably living under the tracks or under the bridge. She's on the opposite side of the socio, socioeconomic part of the society. Uh, she's, she lives across the tracks, in other words. And what's God doing? And it's beautiful. He saves her. He saves Lydia two different ways, but the same gospel, right? One's a power counter, one is just she needs a little more information. But the Holy Spirit opened both hearts, and what's he do? He puts them both in the church. Now, probably they would never get to know each other, except for one fact. God puts us for, where he puts people in the church that you and I would never get to know, apart from the fact that God makes us one in Christ. See, that's the beauty. I remember my dad, um, he, was, he, he was pastoring a church, and he led a, a family to Christ. Uh, whole family can't, trusted, trusted in Christ and, and uh, were saved. But the problem with the church is that family is a black family. And when my dad says, well, you know, I just led these couple family, this whole family's come to the Lord. They want to get baptized and... I'm going to bring them into the church. And they said, uh-uh, they, they go to the black church. They can't come into our church. My dad just looked at him and says, well, then you need to find another pastor. That was his last Sunday. <laughs> and I always, always expected my dad for that. He, had, he, was, he was a man of uh, gumption. He just said, I looked, you know, look. And he said, and guess where dad preached a lot? He preached in a lot of black churches down in Logan County. I remember in Buffalo Creek, he would go and he'd be preaching at uh, the black church. They loved, they loved my dad. He had this deep bass voice. 
uh, even deeper than mine. And, uh, but he, he uh, God is not a respecter of persons. And what God puts into the church, people that we would never get to know, apart from the fact that he puts us into the same body, where we can then learn about how unique God has made each person. But he's made each person in the image of God regardless of socioeconomic. And none of those things matter. And so here God is doing, I mean, so here God is putting another piece of the puzzle together by bringing this girl into the church, the Philippian church. The Philippian church, by the way, is the church that Paul never, never says anything bad about. He just says, I hope your joy just keeps going. There wasn't, in other words, it wasn't a church that was built, made up of, it wasn't the dream team of people who have arrived, who've got it all together, and who have, have they're socially and economically, um, you know, they're, they're above everybody else. I remember uh, in Chicago when I was doing some church work, and one person said, well, we're, we're doing a ministry, and our ministry is focused on the yuppies. And that was in the 80s. And the yuppies were the, in other words, they, they were the people who were the, you know, they were the stair climbers. They were the, you know, they were the people who, who had it all together. But thinking about being in a church like that, always competing. Well, you know, oh, you drive that. Well, I drive this. I mean, <laughs> oh, man, you know. Oh, you make that. Well, I make this. I mean, and I'm thinking, like, that's not how God builds this church. God doesn't go around and say, well, now, you meet the socioeconomic requirements of being in this church, in my church, and... I mean, here's a girl who has nothing, and God is lifting that oppression. See, the gospel frees people and, and, and lifts the oppressed and lifts them up. He doesn't crush them. And here she's being put in the same, same room, the same place with Lydia. And we're going to see with a Philippian jailer. By the way, Philippian, who wants to be a part of the, the, you know, the centurion guard was, I mean, those, those guys were cruel. They were mean. They, they were meaner than Marines. <laughs> Frank, I mean, but I mean, not, not all Marines are mean, but they were tough dudes. I mean, they weren't, me they didn't mess around if they wanted to. I mean, when Paul's arrested here, guess what they do? I mean, they've been beaten. They're bleeding like crazy. And what's the guy do? He puts them in stocks. You know, it's not just that he was putting, a, you know, a little handcuff on him. He was, he was spreading them out and putting these huge iron clamps on their legs. And, you know, and that would just make the pain worse, right? It's not like they're sitting down on the comfy bed. Oh, yeah, oh, I feel great. Yeah, there's not, that's not, none of that's happening. And Paul and Silas then, so, so what is it? God, God's doing some amazing stuff here, isn't he? Um, there was a story told about some missionaries. Uh, actually, they were professionals. It was a documentary. I, can't, I, I didn't see the documentary. I, I read about it. But anyway, in the documentary, uh, these anthropologists were just bemoaning the fact that these missionaries had ruined this pristine, these people's lives because they went in and presented the gospel. And these poor aborigines who were, uh, basically they were headhunters, uh, they were cannibals, and they said, but they're ruining the, the beauty of this, this pure, pristine environment. But if you read John Patton, who went to the New Hebrides, 
When his wife died, he sat on top of the grave for weeks because he knew if they dug her up, they'd eat her. One of those guys, uh, one of the guys was saying, well, who believes the Bible? That's just full of fables. And the, and the, and the aborigine or the, the, he basically the one who had come to Christ, he says, well, sir, he says, if the Bible's not true, we'd be having you for lunch. You know, the, the gospel had changed, has the power to change people. And that's what's happened to this young girl, but it's also going to happen to a Philippian jailer that really doesn't, I mean, basically all his, his thing is that religion is just, it's not very practical. But, you know, they're getting, he's going to get impressed, isn't he? Because what's happening to Paul and Silas, now think about it, beaten 39 times, bleeding, I imagine they probably, I mean, if you're beaten with rods, and Paul says he, he was beaten with rods three times in his ministry in 2 Corinthians 6. So here he's beaten with rods. Silas and he are sitting there. And guess what they're doing? They're singing psalms and they're praising God and praying. And that guy, I'm, and now, and now if that happens to, I mean, if you see somebody that they're in that kind of pain and they're praising God, you're going like, this doesn't make any sense. They should be, they should be cursing something. I mean, if nothing else, curse Apollo, right? Or curse Jesus. Why would Jesus, who they say is their Savior and the Lord, why would he allow them to go through the suffering? And they're praising God. And the centurion is like, he has to be sitting there and he's going, this does not make any sense to me. And then when the earthquake happens, he's even more shocked and surprised. To the point that, you know, Philippian jailers, I mean, they were like uh, retired Roman soldiers. And they, they would, what happened is the, the cushy jailer jobs were given to the Roman, the retired Roman soldiers. So he had a cushy job, but if any one prisoner got loose, guess what happened? He lost his head. <laughs> Read Acts 12. When, remember Peter, when Peter escaped, who, got, who died there? He... Remember that the king had the jailer killed because the prisoners escaped. Well, this is exactly what's happening. He knows, look, look, I know the one thing that's most important to me is my honor. I'll kill myself and save my family the embarrassment. And he's ready to do that. And yet Paul and Silas do something even stranger. Don't kill yourself. We're not going to leave prison. Now you're thinking like, if you're sitting in prison and the doors open, and the chains fall off, you're running out, right? But if they run out, he's going to die. Who are they concerned about here? They're concerned about him. Their enemy, the guy who's actually took pleasure in making their pain worse. Now, that's all of a sudden you see, you see this guy's saying, you know, there's something unreal about this. I mean, they really do believe, and there's something about these guys that is, that is true, what the message they're talking about. And, he, and he, it says that he rushes in, and he falls on his knees, and he says, what do I do to be saved? I'm glad Paul didn't say you need to go to church and get your life straight. You need to clean up your act. By the way, would you just go down to the magistrate, and would you make them apologize to us before, you, before we will accept your confession of faith. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, 
well, you know, you could be a little nicer to us. That might help. No, what do they say? Believe on Jesus Christ. You know, isn't it, isn't it wonderful that the message here in all three cases is the same, but God uses a different method with different people. Some people, like this man, was a very much a skeptical person. You've got to show me. Like Missouri, you've got to show me, man. <laughs> I'm not going to be somebody that's going to be that gullible. You've got to show me the reality of what you believe. See, our culture today is something like that, isn't it? The church is in an environment very much like the days, of, the days when the church was starting out. And you've got a lot of skeptical people. But the one thing that they can't deny is when they see the real thing. When they see the work of God in your life and my life. When they see the Spirit of God moving you to show love for even your enemy. To have enough compassion that you don't want that guy to die because you would get your freedom. I mean, that says a lot. And the gospel, I mean, so here's a secular soldier, hard-nosed guy who God is humbling. And guess what? Where is he going to be worshiping now? He's going to be worshiping in the church at Philippi. Alongside this woman, this slave girl, who's just been delivered from demon possession, beside Lydia, this rich woman, businesswoman, and they're all going to be singing praises to God. Same gospel working in each of their lives and powerfully demonstrating to... And I think this, what Luke is doing here, by the way, he's just giving us three accounts of what was going to happen. This is probably, there are probably more. And it's funny, too, as, they start, as you start out in this Macedonian call, you notice in verse 6 it says, they went through the region. And then notice down verse 10, we sought to go on into Macedonia. Luke's writing this. Now, what, who is Luke? Luke is the, he is a physician. What do you think Paul needs right now? <laughs> he's black and blue and he's bleeding and he's hurting. Guess what? Would you call the doctor? Dr. Luke, by the way, and usually uh, the people that were physicians and doctors in those days, they weren't the high and mighty. They were people that were slaves. See, that rich people had their slaves that were smart sent them to school, and they became the physicians that took care because they didn't want to get their hands dirty. <laughs> and so Luke's probably a former slave or a slave who has learned to become a physician. And guess what Paul does? Paul makes him the pastor because they're going to go on to Thessalonica and plant another church. Well, why wouldn't he take Luke along? He's the doctor. He needs a doctor. No, but they need the pastor more. And he knows that Luke is going to be able to be, he's going to be faithful to preach and teach. Isn't that amazing? Because if you pick up in chapter 17, verse 1, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, we don't pick up Luke again until later on. So he switches from we to they. They went. I wasn't with them. Now we're going to do this in Philippi. And then they take off to Thessalonica. Luke's, gone. Luke's, Luke's there in Philippi, pastoring this church. You know, the way we respond to trials can actually make a difference. You know, as a chaplain was asked uh, by a physician at a 
prominent hospital in North Carolina and said, uh, would you uh, talk to this couple? Uh, they just don't seem to understand the, the implications of her having this baby, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a Down syndrome baby, and she needs to abort this baby. And I just can't talk any sense into her. And the chaplain's thinking, like, he didn't understand. And the lady had told the, the physician, she says, you know, oh, that's, that's so wonderful. We're going to have a baby. And, and our children, we've got two children. They're, they're healthy and everything. And this is exactly what we need. We need to just be able to show love for this child. And he said, I can't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't make any sense to him. It makes a lot of sense to a Christian, doesn't it? Makes a lot of sense to somebody who understands that, that it's not about, you know, living the good life without any problems. No, it's living a life that's, yes, it has problems, but guess what? Jesus is right there in the midst of my problem. You know, a lot of the scripture that I learned, uh, I was, uh, you know, as I was listening to the testimony, uh, is one, a lot of scripture I learned was in the, in the it's kind of like in the, it's in the furnace, right? You know, it's, it's in those times when you're the most fearful, you're quoting the most verses and you're praying the hardest. And, um, and, and you find out that God's faithful. You know, and he doesn't always deliver us the way that we think he would, but yet he does deliver. And what God establishes in Philippi is the church that we're going to study about. And the one thing that we find that the whole theme of the book of Philippians is about is about joy. And it's joy that Paul's talking about when he gets arrested again <laughs> in Rome and he's writing from prison, and he says, I just want you to know the work that God's begun in you, he's going to complete in the day of Christ. And don't, don't feel sorry for me here in this prison, because guess what? God is doing a great work. And we're going we're to look at that. And just wow, How can we have such great joy? Because he keeps repeating, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, rejoice, rejoice. You should be filled with joy. And he's saying, and you're saying, but Paul, we're going through suffering. Yeah, that's the whole point. That even in suffering, we can have joy. And that doesn't mean that I go around with a Colgate smile. It just means that in the midst of that, there's a certain, amount, certain peace that passes understanding. And that I can know God's will in my life is more important than my comfort all the time. You know, so what does God, what does God do? He's changing. He's changing this church, he's building this church, and it's his dream team. See, I think of, I, you know, when I think of a dream, I, when I'm thinking of a church, I'm not thinking about three people who are so different, and yet God brings them unity. And that's what Paul talks about in Philippians, isn't it? One mind, one heart, striving together for the gospel, for the glory of God. And that's, that's kind of Paul's theme here. But what's most amazing, I want you to leave you with this last thought. When Paul was converted, before he was converted, he was a Pharisee, right? You know, uh, Frank was just sharing about him being converted on the road to uh, Damascus. One of the things Paul would pray as a Pharisee every morning, think about it, every morning a Pharisee would pray this prayer, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a woman, that I'm not a slave, And that I'm not a Gentile. Now, now you see God's sense of humor. Who does God save? A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. 
and puts them in the church and you're going like, Lord, what are you doing? And God's saying, guess what? I'm turning everything upside down. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? And, it's, and for Paul, he's probably saying, you know, we serve an amazing God, right? Because he puts, the, he, he makes the world's wisdom look like foolishness and stupidity. I mean, think about this is what 1 Corinthians says, and I'll close with this. God makes foolish the wisdom of the world by choosing what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chooses what is weak in this world to shame the strong. He chooses what is lowly and despised in this world, the things that are not, not the, that, that word that means, in other words, the things that are nobodies. God chooses nobodies. And he puts them on his dream team because they're somebody now. Why? Because they're in Christ. And they're not orphans anymore. They're children of the living God. They're adopted. And all of a sudden, the whole point of that is that nobody would boast in God's presence. And we can't say, Lord, I did it. I deserved it. Guess what? No. It's all grace. That's the gospel. It's all grace. It's sovereign grace. And if you're a Christian, it's because not because God took, not because God took the best, not the brightest, but God took a nobody like me and you, and by His grace, He makes us somebody. See, that's the gospel. So, so when I can, so I can tell people, yeah, I'm a part of God's dream team. But guess what? It's not because I'm a somebody that I was somebody. It's because I am somebody now. In Christ. See, that's my new identity. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the King. And I don't understand everything, but, it's, I, what, but I do know this is that, like we heard some, I think uh, uh, we heard this morning, in other words, the Holy Spirit, Frank was saying that the Holy Spirit, through uh, there in John 14, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He's called the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of truth. You know, isn't that beautiful? And he says, you're no longer orphans. You're children of the living God. And for that, we give thanks. Father, we thank you for this uh, passage of Scripture. And uh, Lord, we're excited about the book of Philippians and the joy that is ours in Christ. We know that it's not because of anything we bring to your table, Lord. We bring our sins, but you let us leave that table Forgiven and justified through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray.